by the way, before launching into the episode, I figured I'd give you a heads up. We're probably going to talk about... But we can't say that at the money? beginning of the episode. No, Gasp. no. I, no. Was just, I was just giving Riley the heads up so that he... Later when we do bring it up. We are covering title redacted at the beginning of this podcast. We should, you should have it go every time it's we say the actual words but leave all that in. Ah, okay. I'll Just use that specific fu- so- use that sound bleep sound. Shush, 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 shush. I'll, I'll use that specific sound bite. Shush, 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 shush. There's this book series I'm reading right now, the Stormlight Archive, where one of the important characters can't remember his wife's name or anything about her because she's dead. But yeah, so whenever her name is said, it's written out. It's <laughs> kind of like how some scholars believe Yahweh is just like an abbreviation that the Hebrews use because they couldn't actually oh, write down. Oh, it definitely is. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's that. The, that one's not debated. And the, they Y-H- invoke the name Y-H-W-H. of the Lord. Y H W H. Well, they would say Adonai when they saw that. Oh, okay. Because the the thing the Hebrew is weird. Just long story short, Hebrew is weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was like the same consonants, but different vowels, which are marked differently in Hebrew. So, don't ask me how it works. I'm not a Hebrew expert. Like. Find someone who is, but like, yeah, it would. They would read it. Auto die. It'd be like that. Uh, that bit from uh, Life of Brian, where like this random old dude says Jehovah, and so he's about to get stoned for saying Jehovah, but then they're like, "What did he do wrong anyway?" And the the guy in charge is like, "He said Jehovah," and then they start sh- they start stoning stoning him mm-hmm. for blaspheming. <laughs> Uh, Life of Brian was weird There were some bits in there that were pretty funny But then I was also like Huh? What? Always look on the bright side of my life (laughs) Gosh I I did like that bit at the beginning Where uh, the three wise men show up to uh, Brian's house to give him the gifts, and then they like walk outside, realize they're in the wrong place, come and grab everything back, <laughs> and take it over to the real manger scene down the street. Speaking of older languages being weird, a couple things back I wanted to transition, but you went to Life of Brian. Oh. <laughs> now, um, so how is your Latin, Riley? Not outstanding, but I like in terms of. Being able to read it, I can almost always parse out a meaning. Sure, but translation-wise, you're not so hot, so? I I can do it with a dictionary and, like, yeah. But sure. I couldn't just... Sight like, read I can't it. speak or anything like that. No, nobody does. It's, well, aside, well, aside from mass can. parts. Um, my, my point being, I got a message from my oldest sister, whose husband is in a band, who's writing music, and they're like, hey... Wouldn't it be cool if we had some Latin lyrics here? And um, metal. she, yeah, she texted me like, "Hey, how's your Latin?" And I'm like, "Well, I have a seminarian friend. I could, 
Just send it to him. So. I, I've done I've done translations like for our Latin class. We had to do stuff. It was mostly Latin to English rather than English to Latin. Sure. But um, would you mind if after the podcast I text it to you, see what you can do, and then? Sure. That might be a interesting project for Silent Retreat that I'll be on next week. Because it's a. Uh... It's sort of a medieval vibe, I guess, to his to his metal band that they have going. Yeah. Haven't heard a whole bunch of stuff. I'm a bad brother-in-law, I guess, but... <laughs> I mean, I don't look at every house my brother-in-law builds. You ought to. <laughs> you should feel <laughs> ashamed. Up. I should... Sh- See, I'm a bad brother-in-law for not showing up to every lesson your sister teaches yeah. to her, like, what, fifth graders? Yeah. <laughs> uh, She's she's a li- she works in the library. Oh yeah, but she has like a class in the library. She yeah. does sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, you're just bad for not showing up to story hour, and then I'm bad for not showing up when, uh, you know, Andrew's helping clients at the credit union. You know. Yeah, you should you should go join a credit union. Yeah, and just to sign up through him. <laughs> no, no, not join a credit union. Just show up when Andrew's working with a client. <laughs> Precisely. Yes. I'm his brother. I'm his brother-in-law. And what does that have to do with us? Absolutely not. Brother-in-law. Everything. Duh. (laughs) I'm. I'm I'm here to support him in all of everything he does. I'm his support-in-law. It's like it's like a support dog. Like a. (laughs) It's like yes, I brought my brother-in-law around, as is the custom. (laughs) Whose custom? It's a custom. It's custom to me. Uh, I had a bit of a weird day today. Did you know? Yes. So as you, people know, I, I work at a, an untitled uh, package shipper company. Uh, and I showed up this morning uh, and the plane is was late. Untitled package shipping. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> that just Thank occurred to me. <laughs> my, 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 uh, oh, you guys know mine. I know yours. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the plane was very late, like 1130 when I showed up at 550 late. So I was in, I mean, I didn't have anything else going on today, so which is fine. But I just sat in there for a long time and they had ordered like a half dozen of Casey's like breakfast pizzas when there was only like a half dozen people there. So you each had an entire breakfast pizza? More or less. Or was interesting. Wait. Which it's like, I guess that's just the batch number they usually buy it in for just when there's late planes. But there's yeah. like maybe a dozen of us there. So like 10, 12 breakfast pizzas. I was like, that's that's a lot. And so I ate a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't have, which is why I didn't eat the uh, leftovers from last night. <laughs> oh, okay. Because of the, the whole diet thing. Of course, I'm, yep. I'm not like actively participating the way you and Bryant are. I'm just along yeah. for the ride. Yeah. So you'll like sort of uh, get some of the um, residual effects. Some, um, but cool. So that was just. I came home at noon. Nice. <laughs> after going to work at five at five forty. Oh dang! Yeah, that is a for considering how long you usually at work. That is a pretty long day. It is. Hey, I got paid to wait for like four hours. Did in it the, come? It, hmm? Oh, it showed up. Okay. And we got a couple of cans off there, and it was this whole thing. It's like all this waiting for that. Like, were the people from the next shift like starting? No, no, they they don't start until like maybe four. Oh, so it's like late afternoon. Yeah, it's late afternoon. They go like 
really late, which is why I didn't sign up for the late shift because right. I don't operate at those no. hours. Good call. Um, so that's my funny story for today. <laughs> I uh, So Nathan mentioned that our roommate and I are, are trying to do this like diet, which isn't so much like a diet as like calorie counting, that type of thing. That is what a diet is. That, that's right. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying not like keto or like whole 30 or anything like that. Just well, like I, there, there are I different varieties what of people diet. S- right. But when people say diet, they mean I'm eating less. Yeah. With the intent of losing weight. So I guess for the collo- in the colloquial sense, yeah, we're dieting. Um, so it's like we're both doing it as sort of an accountability thing. <clears throat> and he's been doing all the math on the macros and everything. But of course, like, what is this, like day two or three of this? And A, so it's summertime. There are a few administrators in the building at work, um, including me. And... People are still dropping off leftovers like there are like however many, like 20, 30 teachers in the building. (laughs) And so there's just like these boxes of like danishes, banana muffins, freaking. There was these lemon poppy seed muffins. Now, it may come as a surprise, but or not a surprise, but like I'm a lemon poppy seed muffin guy. Lemon poppy seed is good. It is so freaking good. But I had already, like, you know, reached my breakfast allotment because um, I ate one of the danishes for breakfast. And that's because I, you know, it was a weird morning. I, I routine was off. Anyway, and so I was just like this. And then there's like uh, like this pumpkin bread with like chocolate chip. All this good stuff on the break room table. It's like, why now? Why now, Lord? <laughs> because it's the end of the school year. And that's well, when... school year's over. There's nobody here. So the stuff is just going to sit there until it goes bad because I can't eat it. Nobody else is eating it. It's just sitting there staring at me whenever I go refill my water bottle. So I think I might need to start refilling my water bottle in the workroom instead of the break room because there's another water cooler in there because it's just too much. You could also just much. not eat breakfast before going to work. Yeah. Well, I mean, I usually do like my uh, like a protein shake. Right. Um, um, and that's my breakfast. But... Yeah, it's just mm, rough times. <laughs> I felt I was thinking to myself yesterday. You know, Lent is actually easier because it's a religious exercise. I could make this a religious exercise, but like, it's we're still like Easter season. It's Pentecost. Um, I suppose the day before this episode goes out, I believe it. Yeah, yeah, Pentecost coming up. So there's still sort of that joyfulness so i can't really go into like this whole ascetic mood when we're supposed to be rejoicing in the resurrection but man man it's fun it's i'm making a big deal out of it being dramatic but i'm very bored at work so these are the th- now because there's a lot less to do like there's so nothing. making big deals out of the sweets in the break room is just what you do because you have nothing to do I, I also think that, like, how much of a struggle this is for me is funny. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm not really complaining. I'm just sort of, like, making fun of myself, more or less. In Inwardly directed schadenfreude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so lonely. No. <laughs> oh, man. That and getting bombarded, apparently, by just all sorts of gross billboards on my way to work it's just like what happened why 
what happened to my peaceful drive to work? Why, why must these thinly veiled innuendos be hurled at my pure Christian eyes <laughs> as I drive into my good boy Catholic school's job <laughs> where I do things on the internet, the pure Catholic internet? <laughs> Anyway, it's been a day. We're the Palladium Papists. I'm James. I'm Nathan. And I'm Riley. Speaking of pure Catholic boys, (laughs) I got the transition wrong. (laughs) Are you okay? Uh, I will be. Um, What are we talking about today? I I was just going to say, we did the whole Winnie Banter part, but we never once brought up the, 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 the... pillow fort he's audibly built oh yeah riley has audibly built a a blanket fort around the microphone (laughs) as a um as a sort of makeshift indeed i i have uh, several convenient uh points on which to hang said blanket the way this setup is right now i have my uh, microphone clamped to the the shelf behind me like or, or rather like behind the the computer in front of me so it's like the uh, the pole that holds the mic it provides one point, and then the microwave over there provides <laughs> another point. So you have your you have a microwave in your dorm. Yes, That's and a fridge handy. and a freezer. Think of all. I suppose is it supposed to be like an isolation in the? Uh, in, no, but in the it's uh, like, silent retreat. No, definitely not. And they have like fridges, full size ones on the hall. Ah. Uh, but it, it's just kind of the university thing. has them for the for the students during the year. So. I see. And it's being used as a uh, retreat center during the... Uh... Yeah, Riley's in Omaha, guys. <laughs> yeah, he's no yeah, longer here. I, I feel like we... Yeah, we didn't mention that. There, there are some things that I, we, I figure should be communicated before we transition to the part where we talk about our Philosophical on the 1999 film The Iron Giant. Yep. In a world where one man will decide whether to pull a lever and kill one man, or not pull a lever and allow five people to die, find out in Filmosophical. I, um, and speaking of old movies after this, I'm heading straight to a showing of Top Gun Maverick with some people. So I, I, I gave you a place to slot in the Philosophical oh. uh, bumper. Well, consider it. Of course, we, we, we broke the whole flow anyway. Yeah, it's it's been a day. Is, Just um, insert it somewhere randomly in this conversation. Perhaps like even in, in the middle of my sentence here. Premium. Just, anyway. Yes, it's a philosophical today. The part where we get film philosophical about films. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Iron Giants. Tell us about Iron Giant, Nathan. Well, it released in 1999, was directed by Brad Bird, is an animated film by Warner Brothers Animation. Brad Bird. And I had never seen it until last week. Uh, Brad Bird of The Incredibles and... what. Or, well, there's a few other movies. He did made. Ratatouille and Incredibles, but yeah. uh, when he did after, those, after he was this. Brad Bird of Iron Giant fame. Yeah, <laughs> yep. This was one of his earlier movies, as as I understand it. Yes. So our film begins somewhere in Maine, 
um, off the coast. You've got a it's there's a storm and there's a fisherman coming in home from the storm. Modern day 1957. Yes, which is very important to the whole theming and such aesthetic. So he's he's pulling his little probably fishing boat into port uh, when something very large falls out of the sky like a meteor hits the ground it crashes into the water uh which you know sends his boat reeling because s- splash waves and such mm-hmm. and it's in the middle of like a, a nasty gale indeed um and so he's on his way trying to find the, his way to the lighthouse and after the crash well, he sees what he thinks is the lighthouse but it turns out to be a pair of gigantic glowing eyes that he crashes into a giant metal man Mm-hmm. Uh, he falls overboard and washes up on the shore, and that's all we know of that. We are then introduced to our main character, Hogarth Hughes, mm-hmm. who um, is a kid. He's just a kid. It's summertime. He doesn't have school currently. His mom works at like There's a... There's 104 days of summer vacation. vacation. And school comes along, Dad, just to end it. And my mom, Jennifer Aniston, <laughs> you know, working at the cafe, so I got to find good ways to spend it. Right. Like and maybe. one of the things he does is he just likes taking in wild animals and being like, Mom, can we keep them? And the answer is usually no, because they're wild animals and make a mess. Mm-hmm. Like he accidentally does in the, the cafe this morning when he's mm-hmm. like, hey, Mom, there's a, I have a squirrel. Can we keep him? She's like, no, where is he? He's like, oh, he got out of the box, and he's causing a ruckus because he crawled up some guy's S-I-M-P leg. S-I-M-P, squirrels in my pants. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of Phineas and Ferb references, 15, 20 years before Phineas and Ferb came out. Or no, about 10, 30, 50. Well, okay, not important. The important bit is that while we're in the diner, uh, this the old man, the old fisherman who was on the boat, is there telling his big fish story? It was a hundred stories high. It was in the water, and I crashed into it. And I had to fight for my life. You know, nobody believes him, right? Mm-hmm. Because like, ah. Eh, so there's this guy named Dean. Yeah, there's this other guy named Dean who's like, sure, I believe you. Got to back you up somehow. Like, I, mm-hmm. he doesn't actually believe him. He just kind of wants to validate him. Somebody's got to stand up for the crazies in this world, right? Uh, Dean is this. Uh, Kind, he's a he runs, artist of sorts yeah. who also owns a junk shop and uses the junk shop he's a bit of a to find parts to make his weird fit early late fifties early sixties modern art stuff. Mm-hmm. Bit of a beatnik. Yes. Um. So that's kind of what, what what's happening. Um. During day, there's. Hogarth's kind of a latchkey kid. It's sort of, if you kind of read the clues throughout the movie, it's kind of clear that at some point, like, his dad was, like, a pilot maybe in a war or something because this would have been, like, after the Korean right, War, right. so could have potentially died. But long story short, his dad's not in the picture, and it's just his mom raising him. So he goes, she has to work late at the diner one night, so she sends Hogarth home by himself. It's like, hey, you, food's in the fridge, stuff like that. No junk uh, food and no scary movies. Uh, which he proceeds to immediately indulge in both junk food and scary movies far too late at night. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at around the same time that there's a power outage. Which him having just watched a scary monster movie and being hyped up on sugar is a little freaked out by. But he's like, you know what? I'm going to go confront this. He goes up to his room, grabs an old pilot helmet that's very well 
And a flight jacket. And a flight jacket. And a little old BB gun with his uh, name, you know, carved onto it. And he tapes a flashlight to it and goes out into the woods following gigantic footsteps of something that bit the TV antenna off of his house. Mm-hmm. And so as he's going into the into the woods, he's following this trail. He comes to like a, a electrical like power station. Half trees, like all these signs. Something very big has been moving through the forest. Very large. So we get to this uh, electrical station, like a bunch of transformer boxes in the middle of the power line kind of a thing. Um, and it's there that we meet, see the Iron Giant for the first time. Mm-hmm. He's this, you know, 50 foot tall mon- he's, met- metal he's man. He's iron and giant. He's giant. He right. looks exactly like Vin Diesel. Yes. So anyway, this Iron Giant begins to um, take bites out of part of the electrical equipment because he eats metal, apparently. Mm-hmm. But he gets kind of tangled up in the uh, in the in the electrical cables, and they start shocking him, which is not cool because he's conductive. And Hogarth is takes this opportunity to run, but he then looks back and sees, you know, that it's a creature in pain. He's like, "Well, I'm gonna before I run away, use the gigantic on-off switch that's out in the open and totally a thing that these power stations have, mm-hmm. and turn off the power and then run." Yep. So he saves the Iron Giant and dives back into his house. After his mom came home, she's been oh, worried sick and been driving her car around trying to find him. And it's like, you can't just do that on me, kid. And he like, starts yeah, telling but, her a wild story about this big giant. And she just thinks like, he's rambling. Not, not having it because, I mean, not not now. She's worried. She's a mom. <laughs> Very tired. Very tired. And he's always going off like this about something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so... While this is happening, because it's a giant monster that eats metal, people and it's a rural, you know, town in off the, in Maine, Maine somewhere. somewhere yeah. Rock there's Hall. yeah, which I'm assuming is made up, but yeah, probably. But there's a you know farm equipment with huge bites taken out of it and pieces of the the road, people's cars and stuff, just like a crazy old fisherman had made a call to Washington. Yep, they're sending a man down to, to look at it, and they sent a man down to look at it. Uh, the U.S. Department of Unexplained Phenomena or something like that. A made-up department that totally exists. You're not uh-huh. supposed to know it exists, but it does. Yep, and all that uh, that implies. Um, what, was it, what was his name? Like Agent Kent something? I'm currently doing the... Kent Google. was his first name. Mm-hmm. I don't remember his surname. I'm trying to... Which link brings me to the... The cast. Oh. Oh, anyway, um, see shows up to investigate. He starts interviewing the farmers. Kent and Mansley. Mansley. That's yes. who it is. Mansley. Um, starts investigating the damage at the power station, all these bite marks out of tractors, things here and there. And he's, you know, he's, he's kind this of a hot shot. Kind of out to prove himself. Mm-hmm. It's also like a very, um, since the 1950s, we're in the heat of the Cold War, which is... I rather, a rather heightened state of paranoia. So, so everybody's like, "Oh, is it something the commies launched over here? Is it, you know?" Yep, we got to find out if it's a threat and destroy it before it becomes one. So that's that's very much uh, Mansley's uh, mo thing here. Whereas Hogarth is like, "Well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna find it again. I'm gonna take a picture. I'm gonna 
so he sets a stake out. He grabs his, he grabs a, a um, old. A old piece of sheet metal. Grabs his camera, sets up the tri- sets up bait to try and snap a picture of the thing. Uh, and it takes a long time, to the point where he dozes off and takes a nap and wakes up and there it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he freaks out and runs away. Uh, there's a bit of a scuffle while the mon- while the iron giant chases him, uh, but eventually he's like, "Wait a minute, you're not actually mean, are you? Mm-hmm. You're just kind of." I think he like throws down the broken switch as like as like, like a sign of acknowledging, he- like, "Hey, you saved me." So it's like, "Hey, I'm gonna teach you a few words." It's like, "Oh, that's cool. It, it's kind of intelligent. It's talking to me." Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is or where it came from. There's a big dent on its head, so I don't know what that's about. It must have got hurt when he landed. Mm-hmm. But hey, this is cool. I've got my own Iron Giant friend. Um, and he tells him to stay and not follow him. He's like, okay, I'm going to... It's late. I'm going to go home. You can't come home with me. Stay here. But the giant doesn't understand. It just kind of follows him. It's like, okay. You I'm going to hide in the barn. Hide you in the barn. Uh, and... Government guys sort of snooping around looking for him. Yeah, he's he's snooping around looking for evidence of the giant. Um, Comes across a broken BB gun. He does. Puts that in in his car for for later. Yeah, he's got hug hug written on it. (laughs) But um, he's at the power station investigating. It's like, well, who nearby would have seen it? And they're like, well, there's a house over there. You can go talk to them. Mm -hmm. And so he, um, he goes down... And knocks on their door during dinner time. Uh, and uh, Hogarth answers the door. And he's like, hi, I'm Kent Mansley. I'm from the depo- I'm from the government. And he shuts the door on his face because <laughs> there's a hand from the Iron Giant in loose in the oh, house. Yeah. I think causing it's, it's some ruckus. Like um, the Giant had like tried to um, take a, try to eat the railroad tracks. And Hogarth was trying to get him to put it back together in the process. Like he gets hit by the train and causes a derailment. So there's pieces of Iron Giant that have been scattered all over the place. And that's the scene that uh, Mansley was coming from. Mm-hmm. He, the, he was investigating the train crash. That, that's what it was. Yep. So yeah, um, the Iron Giant's in pieces, but he can kind of call them together to reassemble him, but his hand kind of got lost in the house. Mm-hmm. And so Hogarth is comedically trying to make get the hand, get out, of the the hand out of the house while not letting anyone see it. Mm-hmm. And now the government guy's there. He's borrowing their phone to make a call to headquarters. And headquarters is like, if you don't have like physical proof of this thing, if you've got, if you don't have more than a hunch or a good feeling about this, we're not going to send the army down there. Mm-hmm. I can send the army if you get me a cast of its footprint or a picture of it. I don't care what it is. Mm-hmm. And this frustrates him because he wants to be the big hot shot that discovers a thing and then blows it up. Yep. Um. So after leaving the house, he's had a Hogarth. bit of a... What kind of a name is Hogarth? Wait a minute. Hug, hug. Hogarth Hughes. <laughs> Turns out that Hogarth Hughes is the pretty much the only name you could come up with that has hog, hug as their first thing. Mm-hmm. Because the part where his BB gun snapped uh, broke off the second half of his name. So he comes immediately back and he's like, so hi. This, this kid's my lead. I see you guys are renting out a room. I would like to rent it. And this displeases Hogarth quite a lot because he's like, no, I want to have a secret Iron Giant friend and I don't want you to know about him. Mm -hmm. And so the entire, um, well, later that night before we find out he rented a room, 
um, Hogarth comes up with a spot where he can put the giant. Because it's like, well, if, you, if I let you out, you're going to eat everybody's metal things. I need to put you someplace where you can be fed and not seen. I know a guy who owns a junkyard. Mm-hmm. Let's go up there. And so uh, he goes, he goes up, up to Dean's, Gene, Dean's junk, junkyard and is like, Hi, uh, Dean, don't look outside right now. I want to talk to you about things. Mm-hmm. And Dean's a decent guy. He's like, Okay, I'll hear you out. I'll, I'll talk to you. Then he, they, he hears something loud outside. He scurries out and sees the giant. He's like, It's a 50-foot thing. I'm going to get the shotgun. He's like, No, 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 no. No, no, don't. Please, can you let him stay? He's basically a child at heart. Come on. Mm-hmm. And Dean's like, okay, this um, is crazy, but all right. I'll, I'll, it's weird, but I'll allow it for one night. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, that's where the Iron Giant stays overnight while Hogarth goes home and doesn't have a good night's sleep. He's woken up by his mom the moment he, he, he rolls into bed mm-hmm. because he's just been out all night. Yep. And it's here that he discovers that... Uh, Agent Mansley has rented the uh, room they're they're letting out, mm-hmm. and now uh, Agent Kent Mansley starts following him all day. Like, hey, when did you first meet him. the giant? How big is it? What does it eat? <laughs> Just asking him all the questions, uh, and Hogarth is refusing to answer because he's a government guy. If the government guys find out, it'll be like all the monster movies where they shoot the monster. I don't want them to blow up the monster. That's this like guy's actually kind of nice. And uh, he's the whole day just trying to ditch him until finally he slips some laxatives into a sundae that, they're, that he's <laughs> eating and gets away. Meanwhile, um, at the uh, junk shop slash art studio, uh, Dean is like, okay, giant, you can't stay here. Stop eating my art. That's art. You can't, you can't understand what art is. And, and he's like, oh, wait a minute. And so he starts using the giant to yeah, help him build like enormous pieces of art out of like you know the junkyard old bumpers and stuff mm-hmm. so dean's the, the giant is growing on dean as well where it's so like, like okay yeah. yeah he can stay here he, he he's cool we're, we're chill mm-hmm. and so there's some uh hogarth comes back after ditching the agent uh agent mansley and they have a bit more time to hang out with the with the giant and so they're playing uh he gets the giant to like swing a car around like it's a spaceship flying around and mm-hmm. Hogarth pulls out a toy gun. He's like, ah, I'm going to shoot the big monster. And he's like, and this uh, kind of triggers something in the Iron Giant where he sees the, the to toy him. weapon pointed at him and very nearly blasts Hogarth. He's like, oh, oh, that's not cool. Mm-hmm. This is very not cool. Yep. And he'd... Uh... They'd seen like a deer get shot by hunters in the woods or something, and Hogarth is ex- like sp- explaining how death works to, uh, uh, ex- explaining how death works to Iron Giant, and he's like, um, "That's a gun. Guns kill." And good, yeah, guns kill are are, are weapons. You don't, mm-hmm. and and that's bad. Yep. Um, you don't want to be a bad robot. You don't want to be like the evil robot from this comic book. You want to be like Superman. You're like him. You came from outer space. You landed you on fly. Earth with no one understanding you, but you're very powerful and you're very gentle and you're very you're, you're you can be a hero if you want to. You're not a killer robot. Mm-hmm. But it's around this time that um, Agent Mansley discovers Hogarth's camera in the woods, 
and the, uh, with a selfie of him and the giant eye. He's like, haha, I've got my evidence. So he develops those photographs and send them, sends them over to Washington because, haha, I found my big lead. He also like basically traps Hogarth in the house. He's like, hey, I know your secret. I found, I found your camera. You can't go running off to tell the Iron Giant because I'm gonna keep an eye on you all night. Mm-hmm. It turns into a staring contest. They both fall asleep, and when Mansley falls asleep. Hogarth sneaks out to warn uh, Dean and the giant that the government's coming and to hide the giant. So the so the uh, the government shows up at uh, Dean's junkyard and like, oh, this better be good, Mansley. So they open the door to, uh, to the shed. Dean's shed and there's the iron giant with like a whole bunch of uh, other parts on him. Like he's this art project and he's being presented like, oh, this is my... my Big best work yet. It's a big commission. And yeah, this the CEO was coming in. He wants to put this in his lobby, if you can believe that. And the government, the the general, and all the soldiers all disappointed. It's like this is what you got us out here for. And so the general like fires Mansley. He's like screams at him for making him bring all these government resources out here for nothing. And they all drive off. And uh, Hogarth is evidently scot free. Until, until, <laughs> until. Because you know now, now the the giant is like, okay, I'm I'm out now. Um, he's hanging out with Holgarth for a bit, but then I think Mansley looks in like the rearview mirror and sees the giant, you know, up and around. He's like, oh, that little kid, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that lovely child. Yep. And he's like, okay, I'm gonna turn this around and let's all start shooting at him because that's a great idea. Yep. And uh, it was not a great idea. No. Because they. In, in the conflict, um, there's several times where the giant's about to turn weapon mode. Hogarth's like, no, stop. You're not a gun. You're not a gun. Mm-hmm. We can do this. Just run. Right? So he's running away with Hogarth. Dean pieces together. Wait a minute. The giant only reacts violently as defensively. If, right. And, you know, Iron Giant's making a, like, concerted effort to, like, restrain himself from going all sicko mode. That is until uh, he gets... Knocked off his feet and drops uh, Hogarth, who is knocked unconscious, but appears to the giant to be dead. And he, this causes something to snap in the giant, and he just goes all ape crap. He, he goes full full on sicko mode. Mm-hmm. And so now the government's like, well, nothing can stop this thing. Uh, let's call in the nukes, because nukes are obviously the, the best idea way to resolve this. We're going to mm-hmm. nuke this tiny town in Maine. <laughs> Yeah, and the journalist's like, wait a minute, Mansley, are you crazy? Like, they have him on red alert, and then, like, and then they they discover, um, Ho- actually, no, Hogarth's okay, guys. He didn't kill the kid, because that was what had caused the government to open fire on the kid. Um, well, it was uh, Agent Mansley lying to them that, yeah. uh, the kid, he had killed the kid. Yeah. Uh, when and actually, the Dean... giant had like run into town to save a couple boys who were falling off the bell tower. So the townspeople are like, oh, this giant's a good guy. Right. And the government goes crazy. And yeah, that's how we got here. Yeah. Um, so Mansley steals the phone from the general and he's like, fire the nukes. And the general's like, you idiot. The You said to fire at the giant's current position. We're next to the giant. We're going to get nuked. And so the giants headed off to where the blast, the the launch came from to blow it up. Hogarth finally catches up. It's like, hey, I know you're not a gun, you're not a weapon. You can be Superman. You can be you can be good. And so, I'm gonna place myself between you and the and the boat, 
and until you snap out of it. Mm-hmm. And he snaps out of it. He does. He's like, oh, Hogarth. Uh, oh, crap. He's what like, have I done? What have I done? <laughs> and then, so they all see the nuke, and it's it's flying up, and it's going to come down, and, and they're, they're all... Like, see, he's nice. He's not, he's, he's not going to attack us. And it's like, well, we're all going to die if this nuke falls on us. And um, the giant's like, Hogarth, stay. I go. And so he... He goes and does the Superman thing where he catches the missile in midair and detonates it before it can come anywhere near enough to the town to do any damage. He does the Iron Man thing where he takes it up into space away from all the people. Well, Superman was the guy who first started throwing all of his problems into space. Fair enough. <laughs> so, no. Uh, and the, there's a lot of character parallels between Iron Giant and Superman. That'll get mm-hmm. broken down later. Anyway. Much like Iron Giant. <laughs> Because the the nuke explodes and he yep. blasts off into a million pieces and Hogarth's the big sad and you know Dean and his mom are like oh it's it's he was a hero he it was cool mm-hmm. um, there's a so there's a memorial to the giant in the town and everything's okay Mansley gets mega fired mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of it's kind of implied that Dean and Hogarth's mom are sort of in a relationship now yeah. Um, and that's kind of where those characters end in this movie, where it's like... The government's like, hey, we recovered one piece of uh, the giant. We figured you should have it. It's like this little screw. Well, a screw that earlier he had used to help... Uh, he had u- earlier helped screw- put it back into his jaw to when he broke the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one day, it activates like it's uh, trying to get called back to reassemble. And so Hogarth opens his, wi- its win- his window and lets it roll off toward where the giant is reassembling somewhere in what? Uh, like Iceland. Like Iceland. Yeah. Yes, that, as we all know, the barren wasteland of ice and snow. <laughs> yes. That is, uh, that is Iceland. Yep. Unlike the, Greenland, which is the, green. The Iceland. <laughs> it's the land of ice. Iceland. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's Iron Giant. That is the Iron Giant. So... What are some cool things we liked about the movie? One of the cool things I liked about the movie is the the kind of um, the kind of flip it does on the 1950s monster movie yep. idea, because like the design of the giant himself is very like uh, Art Deco monster, like robot from space design. Particularly when he goes all sicko mode and the dome happens and he's got all the lasers and, there's and like even those, the effects. Those little arms are like like War of the Worlds, like right? Right. And even like the death beams he fires, or the way they're animated is very much in the style of those old monster movie, monster comics kind of effects. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, oh, this is straight out of the fifties. I dig this. Yep. <laughs> the aesthetic. You know is what very I? uncomfortably realized partway through our discussion of this. Oh, what's that? Hogarth is a boomer. <sighs> this is a boomer story. Crap. <laughs> okay, Hogarth. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever recover. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we kid, we kid. But he is a he is a boomer. He's a kid. Yeah. He's a kid boomer. He's a kid boomer. So he's is he even really a boomer yet? Uh, technically, yes. He was yeah, a boomer it, when yes. he was born. That's how it's boomer, defined. Boomerism is... Boomerism manifested later. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> he hasn't started wearing Hawaiian shirts and driving expensive cars yet in his old age. So he hasn't had a midlife crisis yet. Yep. Um, <laughs> well, there's something to put in the title. Yeah. He hasn't had a midlife crisis. He yet. hasn't had a, <laughs> no, no, the boomer aspect of he it. He hasn't had a Vietnam yet, so we're we're in good shape. Um, so yeah. But yeah, the 1950s aesthetic. <sighs> but like, it's one part like homage to the old monster movies, and then mm-hmm. one part like a twist, a twist, and a commentary on them because they're also very much born out of that uh, 50s through like 90s. Paranoia. Cold War culture. Yep. Where it's like, oh, you make stories about giant invaders because you're afraid of weapons of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like you are not... A, like, like over the course of the show, too, it sort of, like, spells out... It's, it's, it's like, uh, one of his, like, main statements. Like, you are not a gun. You are who you choose to be. Yeah. Um, Self-determination. Individualism. Yeah. yeah. That type of stuff. Yeah. Um, what else is good? Uh, it's also one of the few, like... I suppose this was at the time when like Warner Brothers was still putting out animation. When people in general are still putting out 2D animation. Yeah, it's a really like seamless blend of 2D and 3D animation. Right, There, there's a period... For it being made in 99. Yeah. Right, there was a period... In the early 2000s and even in the 90s when 3D was being introduced to 2D animation. Mm-hmm. Where you could always immediately tell. And you can tell what's 3D here. If you take a look at it. But like the way course. it's shaded, the way it's blended fits with it a lot more seamlessly well. than other it's, yeah, it's animations of well the era. Composited. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's like you can tell what CG in a live action movie too. Well, and right, if you think about the way they're they layered choose, together, is the what they bit. choose to 3D animate, like it's mostly the giant, stuff and that's from just because and like technology, etc. And like, it's mostly because he's got so many moving parts and he's so large and stuff. Where it's like, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. You want to have these very articulate technical robot bits going well, on. It's kind of a cool creative choice too. Like where it's like because they they're the parts that sort of inherently stand out of the aesthetic. So mm-hmm. sure, kind of makes sense. I suppose that's we're sort of a. Uh, Jumping the gun a little bit here, but well, it's it's cool stuff. We're talking generally. It's cool. Okay. Um, what else do we like about it? Overall, I don't know. It's uh, I I saw it for the first time. I remember because you know back back in my day when we watched uh, stuff on VHS, I just kept seeing like the the previews on the VHS um, for. Uh, for the Iron Giant, and I'm like, you know, someday I'm gonna watch this movie. And the first time I watched it was like um, during college, and I remember just like, I was like, whoa, <clears throat> I this is a way better movie than I was expecting it to be. Um, and then I was like, you know what, I need I need the guys to see this show, and so we watched it last week, and it's like, yeah, it holds up, pretty well put together movie. Yeah, I had I, I had you know heard about it. It was one of those hidden gems cult classics from the early 2000s late yep. 90s sort of a thing <laughs> enough of a cult classic to be included in ready player one apparently right and also now uh multiverses have you have you seen any iron giant stuff no i haven't seen well, i've seen like it... a little bit i saw super saiyan shaggy but that's about it. <laughs> right but there's that warner bros smash bros ripoff uh, iron giant is also going to be in that which nice. is fun anyway <laughs> so 
But it's funny. I don't. You, you mentioned like you you saw had a bu- you watched a bunch of previews for him on on VHS and I'm like mm-hmm. there are just eras where you bought like VHSs from the same company during a sh- brief time where they all had the exact same trailers on them. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and like. I suppose I still do previews on DVDs, but it's coming not soon to Disney DVD with like the two cords and the yeah. blue and yellow light. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone has access to trailers, just like that nowadays. So yeah, right. So it's a different experience now. Mm-hmm. Kids these days, <laughs> they'll never know. These days, they'll never know how to that they have to rewind a movie. A VHS, but they don't want to rewind it all the way back, so they have to fast forward to the v- the previews again. <laughs> and maybe this is kind of a more on the beauty end, but like, there's a lot of voice actors. Like beyond Jennifer Aniston, there aren't a whole lot of like voice actors in the show or in the movie that like with names you'd really recognize necessarily. But like all the performances were like as quite it ought good. to be. Right. I feel yeah. like the voice so- acting should not be done by you know, typical method actors unless they know what they're doing, and most of the time they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I feel like that really got its start um, in with uh, with the genie and Aladdin being yeah. Robin Williams, which, yep. his voice was fantastic for the role, so it's like a good cast. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, star power can bring people to animated films? <laughs> huh. And, uh... This is all we will ever do from here forever. Anyway... Uh, anything else before we get into the analysis? We good? Cool stuff. Uh, truth. What are some truths we can find in Iron Giant? I am not a gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't have to choose to be what do you, you know, to like give in to your natural inclinations. Yep, because those yeah. are generally speaking, like, you know, concupiscence and all that. So we have a tendency to do bad thing mm-hmm. because of sin, but we can also choose to rise above that. Yeah, because we are not defined by the bad things we are capable of. Yep. Um. So less in a self-deterministic sense and more of a um. Fully well, that's the way it comes across and it's probably intended but i'm choosing yep. to interpret it in a more catholic light correct which right. is what we do here in the podcast but you mean the self-determinism way is just a without it's sort of it's, it's all you can really do without god it's kind of represented in dean's character too i suppose where he's you know he's, he's got his, like his junkyard business and whatever but he's you know kind of doing his own thing and you know being you know Thinking outside the box and kind of a beatnik, you know, all that stuff. But, but also, well, I suppose that's that's more goodness. But like, he's mm-hmm. he's a he's a guy who can see under the surface, uh, see beyond appearances, mm-hmm. right? Where he he's accepting of the giant because he has the ability to, after meeting him and getting to know him a little bit, it's like, oh, you're not the monster you appear to be. There's more to you underneath the surface. And him being mm-hmm. this weird artist guy who draws art out of discarded scrap metal yeah like he's i suppose that's another theme like as far as like the 1950s are concerned as an era where people were definitely grappling with that whole um you know not judging things by their appearance right because like not viewing the other unknown other as some sort of threat but 
as something with which they might have in common. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, as we've established earlier, uh, alien invasion films are often about our relate strained relationships with an unknown other mm-hmm. that we have difficulty communicating or seeing eye to eye with. Yep. Be it a language barrier or literally them being 50 feet tall. <laughs> yep. Metal man eating metal objects and stuff. Any other truths we can talk about? Goodness. Hogarth is good. Yes, he's a very uh, caring young boy. Compassionate, yeah. Very compassionate. Yeah, he likes to take an He's also the the, uh, the mayor of downtown Coolsville. <laughs> Population <laughs> us. <laughs> like I told you, I'm hip. <laughs> Proceeds to run his mouth off while yeah, high well, on yeah, coffee. High on espresso, <laughs> yeah. Espresso. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have a bone to pick with how they lazily they animated that because he just dumps the grounds into the top of the pot that is which would be the effective effectively like dumping grounds into a coffee pot as we know them now yeah you're just like dumping the coffee where the where the where the coffee the brewed coffee goes if, if specialty made like espresso machines existed to the general public at that point that no they did not they did exist like the electric pressurized ones were you know invented in the 30s Mm -hmm. but they were not commercially available um hogarth's a very good character though yep as is dean yep and they both kind of leave a very good impression on the giant who it's sort of implied that he's like sort of been hurtled to earth from some alien war he was a part of Right. The dent on his head was what was preventing Some him from immediately amnesia. going sicko mode as it would be interpreted based on the visuals. Mm-hmm. But it's through his relationship and learning from Hogarth and also He's like, hey, you can, be like, you can be like Superman. You can, you can use your power to help others and save people. Because, yeah, there's that, that story parallel there where mm-hmm. Superman... It's interesting how there's the two 1950s style comic books he shows them. There's Superman... Then there's the evil robots comic, right? Mm-hmm. Where one is the robot from outer space being shunned by the outside and blowing everybody up. And the other is Superman, who he, he's Superman, mm-hmm. you know? He, he crashes onto Earth, and despite everything that happens on Earth, he remains good. He's the Jesus figure. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, a giant manages to sacrifice himself and save the town. Yeah. Like Superman. Also, Hogarth's mom is a very fantastic, concerned mom character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you, you can tell she's, you know, pulled from all directions trying to hold down a good life for this kid and just having difficulty doing it because it's a single mom in the 1950s. Yep. So. Um, and still allows uh, Hogarth to have what appears to be a pretty happy childhood. Um, so yeah, lots of the theme of like self-sacrifice here. Yeah. Uh, any other elements of goodness? Uh, beauty. Um, 2D animated movie. Which... Very well animated movie, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Um, it, although it was a little weird, like some characters have like pupils on their eyes. Some people just have irises, but the characters, like the character design is really good. Like the whole and aesthetic it, blends pretty well. It honestly has this um 
90s animation vibe that you we don't get anymore. Yeah. Like, not just in... It, you fact, just, not just you get because, a very wholesome vibe from this movie, which is not a very critical way of... Or a critical thinking way of putting it, but... Um, yeah, there's just something about the movie where it's just it's it's like a. It's got those comfy vibes, you know. Like, <laughs> but but yeah, that that aesthetic, um, is very refreshing. Yeah, and it it the the soundtrack the score was really good. Then mm-hmm. also, they they did use a couple uh, period specific um, like songs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had some good use of both like original score. And uh, period music to set the tone. Mm-hmm. Also, like the backgrounds and everything, like all the matte paintings and things like that, were pretty cool. Like capturing, you know, New England in the late fall and like early winter, that type of thing. Um, and also, like strangely historically accurate, like jets and stuff in the movie. Well, um, I was like, you know, this is a detail that literally nobody else cares about, but I appreciate this. <laughs> and it's that attention to detail that just goes the extra mile it's very fun yeah like and we were talking earlier about like Hogarth's dad like at one point like midway through the movie you see a picture of a pilot on his on like his dresser in his room or something he's like ah he wore like that was where the light bulb clicked in my head wait he wears a flight jacket and a helmet which are left over from his dad so probably his dad died in a war so there's some like really kind of fantastic subtlety to yeah. the movie. Because some, some movies would, like some people who would write that would attempt to be like, you know, go through and like actively explain that. Like that's why they're in this situation. But like, you know, he's got a single mom. The dad's not in the picture, but there's little effects of him around the house. You can piece that together without having to but explicitly state it. It's not important to the story, really. Right. None but it's of a the cool, characters, like extra touch. It just makes it feel real. Yep. Right? It's like... Real people don't stop and explain to you the the plot of how they're like they're, every single time they meet some new person. It's like, and my father died when I was a baby. Like it's all that stuff. Like, it's like no, he's living with his mom. That's all people know. And we, it's that's efficient writing for you. Yeah, it's really well put together like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we mentioned like the blending of like the three D and the two D animation in like ways that make sense and. It's uh yeah pretty well done. Um, anything to add to that, Riley? Nope. All right, Unity. What uh what brings everything together in Iron Giant? The fifties. Yeah. <laughs> because because fifties. Because fifties. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, this is less determined by that. Actually, yeah. no. It, never mind. It kind of is. Yeah. Well, it's sort of it's sort of um. It's sort of a medi- uh, not a meditation, maybe, but something similar to that. I'm trying to think. A reflection. A reflection on like the zeitgeist of the '50s. Yes, very much. And like, I believe the it's actually it might actually be based on a book, which was yeah. uh, Cold War uh, era mm-hmm. story that was making commentary on the sup- suspicion of the era, right? Yep. And so the the giant himself and how he chooses to respond to the aggression that the military shows to him, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the central thing where it's like... Yeah, it's sort of the message of the movie is like, you know, if you respond to, you know, the unknown other with like aggression and fear, you're only going to make things infinitely worse. Violence begets violence. Yeah. What 
what needs to happen is for somebody to do something to break that cycle. Mm-hmm. To and with Hogarth's help, that's what Iron Giants is able to do. Exactly. That is what Vin Diesel is able to do in his audition that's... for Groot. <laughs> he says significantly movie. more words in this than Guardians of the Galaxy, though. He does, yeah. Um, so I guess you could say he was overqualified. <laughs> and that, which is a, a doozy of a thing to say for Vin Diesel. But... <laughs> Um, Vin Diesel was the celebrity voice actor in this movie. He was. That, that's what he was. I suppose like Jennifer Aniston was pretty well known with Friends at the time, but not like a, a movie actress, yeah, per se. But uh, if there's uh, nothing else to go over, I think we should we go ahead and wrap this up. Probably a good I, idea. You've got a movie in 25 minutes. I do. So. Yeah, I should probably get going. Alrighty, well. Thanks for listening to The Palladium Papists. You can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. And leave a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at PalPapists. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or complaints, or suggestions for future episodes, email us at palladiumpapists at gmail.com. And we will talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye. See ya.